My name's George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to part two of our interview with Brian Rich, uh, the author of Shift and Reset, founder of Little M Media. He is a very outspoken thought leader, I'd say. And so I have a lot of fun with these questions. I hit him with, try to put him off balance. Of course, I don't succeed. But we discuss things like what should the nonprofit sector stop doing, mistakes he's made, and where he sees the sector going. I had a lot of fun with it, and I hope you enjoy. Let's get back into our part two series with Brian Rich. would be your advice to you know other nonprofits that are trying to tackle digital impact and this uh, idea of how does the digital sphere relate to our underlying mission vision and goals you know all the things that people have said for a long time remain true which is it's not about the technology and you know we we have to be smarter and data is really important and things like that the you know the analogy that i used in shift and reset which i still use all the time is this idea that um there is a giant meteorite hurtling towards the planet or the sector. And, you know, most people are looking at that meteorite going, you know, whether it's apathy or, you know, millennials who don't care about institutions or whatever excuse you want to make, you know, they're staring at this thing as it gets closer and closer in the shadow engulfs us and eventually, you know, it'll hit and destroy everything. Um, but if we can just knock that meteorite off course by one tiny degree – two things happen. One, you save the world and you're a hero, which is always appreciated, right, and gets you some additional attention. But more importantly, that one degree difference changes everything, right? You start to see all sorts of different opportunities, things that were hiding behind that meteorite that you didn't know were there. So the big picture point, I, I you know, implore, beg, cajole people to take is Stop sitting around and having a discussion about whether or not change is necessary or what change is worthwhile and just start doing things. Do different things. Do more things. Try 20 options instead of two. If you've done something before and it didn't you know, knock it out of the park at 100% participation, try something slightly different next time because what we do know and what we are measuring now is very predictable responses to the same thing over and over and over and over again. And that is not going to make us progress. I don't necessarily know what will make us progress, but I know doing the same thing over and again will not. So you don't have to be super ambitious. You don't have to try things that I think are interesting. Everybody can have a different appetite, but we all have to have some appetite for trying new things and pushing a little harder and acknowledging that what we're doing isn't working anymore and we have to do something different. The alternative to that is... Y'all keep doing what you're doing. Don't change. You know, resist whatever it is. You know, criticize those who sound crazy but, you know, are just trying to come at things from a different place. And I don't know, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, you know, you can be out of business and, you know, you can have failed to both achieve your mission and, you know, galvanize the public to, to get involved in different ways. And that'll actually clear up a lot of additional space for those of us who are just trying really hard every day, you know, to, to crack the code. And I don't know, I could spend my entire lifetime and never crack the code, but I'd like to, I'd like to go down fighting, trying, instead of sitting around wringing my hands, you know, while 
you know, while these issues get worse and worse. Yeah, and we're in a unique place in, I think, history where we can look at examples of, you know, meteorites hitting organization uh, companies like Kodak or industries like the music industry and see what happens when you simply say, let's put up our walls and continue doing what we used to do because that's what we do. And I like the idea of how do we adopt even a 1% shift in our daily, weekly, monthly behaviors that allow for experimentation, especially on the digital side, because it has certainly got the most upside potential uh, in amplification. Yeah, I mean, look, one, I think we talk about a lot of things right now under the banner of change that are not actually changes. Um, I think we talk about a lot of different variations on awareness. I think we talk a lot of uh, you know, about the sophistication of our ability to target audiences and optimize the ways that we, um, you know, create content or drive actions or whatever. But we're still talking largely, if not entirely, to the same audiences that we always have. We are largely uh, telling the same stories and driving the same actions. So, yeah, we might get more people to sign petitions. We might get more people to watch YouTube videos. We might get more people you know, to use a hashtag, which didn't even exist, you know, not that long ago, right? But it's not actually changing the behavior of the people who are involved or the the path to which we find potential solutions. And so if we confuse that different activity with actual change, actual innovation, actual progress, we have no one to blame but ourselves when these problems get worse instead of better and we don't actually open up new opportunities where we might somehow discover a solution. You mentioned Kodak and folks like that. That's the downside, right? Those who did not adapt, you know, go away. But on the plus side, you see things like, you know, cancer and AIDS researchers who have toiled away by themselves in labs for a long time and then, you know, open up their data or open up their process to others and someone, you know, maybe who's like a video game designer comes in with a different perspective and everybody learns and you make these incredible leaps forward. It's that kind of example. That's not the model. Like I'm not saying everyone should invite a video game designer into their process because they think differently. But the point is we can talk amongst ourselves all we want and not get anywhere and pat ourselves on the back for the, you know, insufficient progress that we're making. Or, you know, we can throw out what we know, you know, break down back to the pieces, figure out what works, put it back together differently, and see if that changes anything. Um, and, you know, that's, it, it's a process argument, but it's, you know, it, 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 is a, it is a critical part of what we know as a society has worked in the past to, you know, drive actual change. I just, you know, I would like us to to be more focused and more committed to doing exactly uh, that stuff every day, all the time, because, you know, as much as I advocate patience, I'm not really all that patient. Yeah, you don't strike uh, me as super patient. With <laughs> no, I mean, I just, you know, and I've always been this way. It's extra the case when I have kids uh, now that I have kids, but it's like, you know, we can see that the path that we're on is no different than the path we have been on before. And yet we know all these other sectors outside of the nonprofit space are changing and disrupting what they're doing and people are adapting and having to solve new problems. And 
we're not going to solve these issues, but at least I would like us to be having different discussions than the ones when I started work, you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, and unfortunately, aside from the name on the platform that we're talking about, uh, the the questions and the core arguments, even in some of the most incredible and and highly successful and and well branded and you know financially uh, you know benefiting organizations in the country, we're still having the same conversations instead of you know fundamentally blowing it up and putting it back together differently and seeing what happens then. Yeah. All right. So I want to shift a bit into some slightly more rapid fire, burst your bubble a little bit. Talk to me about a mistake you made earlier in your career related to maybe the role of impact sector, nonprofit world. Um, Give us something here. God, there there are so many. Um, I would say that uh, the biggest mistake I made was, and I've made it three or four times, and now I know never to make it again, uh, is uh, I went and worked for an agency. Um, there there are some wonderful agencies out there. I have a lot of friends. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of work with great agencies. The structure of an agency rewards doing the same thing over and over again with greater efficiency because it's a margin-driven business. Um, and so the, the reward for going and doing new things every time and you know, breaking things and, you know, saying things that your client doesn't want to hear but is ultimately going to propel them forward, that that's just not there. That incentive isn't there. And so, you know, I would say over the course of my almost 20-year career, the, say, five or six years in and out of different agencies, some of the biggest and best in the world, um, you know, were years where I was treading water instead of, you know, learning enough and moving forward and, uh, you know, helping to move the space forward. So, I take responsibility for that. I apologize for going and, you know, thinking that like less expensive healthcare or working as a part of a team in a nice office was, you know, was a better way to affect change when, you know, unfortunately being scrappy and being loud and, you know, working with whoever I need to work with to get things done seems to seems to be the way to have a greater, you know, direct impact that that has more help for the space. I forgive you. Consider yourself forgiven. Thank you. Um, next up, rapid fire here is what is something you think now I'm not going to say the in general sector, but actually the foundation world. What is something you think the foundation world should stop doing? I think the foundation world needs to stop uh, putting the the dictating the terms of their grants uh, so significantly. I think the reporting requirements and the uh, sort of almost RFP nature of the grants that they're giving where a project is very clearly dictated at the beginning and has to play itself out in full to the end and, you know, be all wrapped up. It limits, if not entirely discourages, uh, you know, innovation and learning. Um, That's not to say that I don't think, I think foundations should continue to invest in the kinds of learning and the kinds of ambitious stuff they're doing. That's great, but I think they need to take some of the shackles off uh, or find new ways to, you know, to monitor progress and and ensure that the money is being well and effectively spent uh, in real time. Because over the course of a year, two, three, four-year grant, I mean, there's so many more things you could do if if folks didn't have to adhere so strictly to the rules that have been set at the beginning. Yeah, and it's that tough double-edged sword. I feel it um, in both of both of our thinking, you know, because we do believe in metrics and measurement and progress. But if you make it too prescriptive and 
you've basically been funded down a path that you find out doesn't work in the first quarter of the process but still have to follow through, that's a waste. Well, you know, what? What? it's not entirely fair to blame the foundations because actually many, not all, but many foundations and big and aggressive and interesting ones, they understand that. Um, but I do think there's a communications problem between, you know, those who are making the grants and those who receive the grants. Um, if if the foundation said, you know, we all agree what we're funding you to try and do, try and learn, try and achieve, and we want to see the most exciting work, um, I think that would be uh, give permission to the people on the receiving end of the grants to, you know, to, to mix things up a little bit. But there is such a reliance on, you know, the funding that foundations provide that, that the recipients are afraid to, you know, piss off the foundation. They're afraid to fail. They're afraid to stray. So I actually believe that the foundations want to move aggressively to solve problems. I think they're, they're, structure that exists and the accountability that they demand is sort of misinterpreted by the recipients. And what they really need to do is they need to say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to money for five years, but every six months or every three months, we're going to revisit the plan. And if we need to change the plan, that's fine. But you, you don't need to worry about the dollars for five years. We, we are investing in you because we believe you can lead us you know, to the kinds of learnings and solutions that matter. We're not investing in this one particular approach that if we find in the first quarter has gone off track, you know, we're going to blame you for doing what we told you initially we wanted you to do. Like, it, it needs to be, you know, that, that flexibility needs to come in both sides. It's not all on the foundations, but because they have the money, you know, they set the terms, and I think they need to communicate a little better that their terms can be flexible uh, to achieve the the desired outcome. Yeah, and I think there's definitely been a a shift over you know the past five years, past ten years in the way the foundation world has approached it. I've seen it firsthand um, and at large, which is uh, kind of nice to see. Alrighty, next question here is if I give you like a magic, let's call it potion, <laughs> that could fix one thing in every uh, one thing in every nonprofit, uh, what would it be slash do? Um, it would make everybody dramatically more curious. Um, I think curiosity and imagination are the, uh, the greatest resource that we could apply to solving these complex problems, and they are in the, the shortest supply. We have a fundamental imagination gap. People will not do things that they have not done before, um, either because they're afraid or they don't understand it or they don't know how to do it or it's hard. There's a lot of reasons. But we need to close that imagination gap. And a big part of doing that is is making everybody curious so that and a little cynical. Curiosity and cynicism to me are sort of, you know, two sides of the same coin. So that we're not satisfied with what we have achieved. We are in fact always hungry. You know, so hungry that we never sleep. So hungry that you know, when something happens, we're curious why it happened and what we could do if we tried it differently and what happens next. And that curiosity doesn't, you know, need, we don't actually need to not sleep. We don't need to constantly be running at a thousand miles per hour. But that intellectual curiosity drives so much uh, potential for different thinking and different approaches. And, you know, people just aren't curious enough. They're just, 
you know, that's that's what we need. So if we had a magic potion to just make everybody insanely curious all the time, that I think would be transformative. Brilliant. I'll start working on that in the whole well labs immediately. Appreciate that. I think it needs to have a good scent too, if people are going to use it. So just putting that out there. Good, good, good. We'll get a feature list together. Uh, final question: uh, You personally, Brian, or in your in your company, Little M Media, what is something you want to stop doing? You know, I want to stop. Uh, I want to stop basically having to work for money um, and find the way to be involved in projects and have the impact that I know I can have, which is often through my speech writing and my content and that kind of stuff, uh, that nobody else can have. Um, I realize that's probably everyone's goal to some extent, right? But, you know, unfortunately, I think that the greatest impact that I can have is less monetizable, less structured than skills that other people have. Um, But we need both of them. So if there was a way to, uh, you know, have whatever, I mean, even if just three months, six months, right, where I didn't have to move from project to project, where I didn't have to move, uh, you know, from getting paid a certain amount, you know, each month to just, you know, live the life that I need to live and support my family and all of that stuff, um, I, I think I could, uh, you know, do even more and do some incredibly interesting things and learn a ton more. Um, but, you know, there are days where it feels like, you know, the rat race takes over. Um, and I certainly don't want to ever lose my belief that it is important to work on, you know, important things and my belief that if I continue to work and I continue to push and I continue to rant and, you know, shake my fist at the moon, that we will eventually find solutions to these complex problems. Um, but the, you know, the economic construct of, you know, the way we have to work and the value of certain uh, roles and certain skills and certain things at certain times, you know, doesn't always line up to make me, uh, you know, to where I'm in a position to do, you know, the work that I think is most important. Um, And I think if I could stop, you know, having to chase, you know, chase money, uh, at least for a little period of time, I think it could uh, you know, it, it could unlock a lot of things personally, but also, you know, in relation to all the people and the things that I work with, which, you know, I would like to think other people would find valuable as well. But hey, that's, uh, you know. We'd have to look at the data brain. for that one. Yeah. Um, awesome, Brian. Thank you so much. And uh, as a final piece here, um, tell us a little bit about uh, how and why people should work with Little M Media and then how they find you. Sure. Uh, the the people that I want to work with and the people that I, uh, you know, I think can support best are are the people who are willing uh, to you know go for it. Um, I'm I'm sort of issue agnostic, but I want the people who you know who commit, who want to do ambitious things and similar. Um, if you go to shiftandreset.com. Um, you know, you can see my blog posts and my bio and some of the other things that I work on. You can, you know, track down stuff about the book. You'll see what I'm talking about uh, and my, my, you know, obsessive desire to work with people who just want to go for it. Um, so check it out there. You can find me on Twitter at B-R-I-A-N-R-E-I-C-H. But, you know, there are lots of people out there who can do good work for you or, you know, you can hire who are great writers. Um you know, I always appreciate calls, but the people I want to work with are the people who are ready to go mix it up and 
you know, change the world in a dramatic and sustainable way. Um, and otherwise, I'll just, you know, refer you to one of those other people who does great work, but, you know, is much more comfortable with, like, the normal kind of approach. Awesome. So you're the guy to talk to when you want to solve big freaking problems. Bingo. Um, thanks so much for uh, taking the time today and incredibly valuable insights. Thanks so much, bud. Thank you. Always a pleasure. We jumped around a lot of topics here, and I wonder, you know, looking back at this two-part series, what really stuck with you? What you think that your organization should be trying and doing differently? My favorite part, well, actually, I'll just replay it for you. I think curiosity and imagination are the uh, the greatest resource that we could apply to solving these complex problems, and they are in the the shortest supply. I think that captures it. You know, if you walk away from this podcast with anything, curiosity and imagination applied to social causes that matter will only help you achieve your goal. And you know what? God forbid, maybe even have some fun along the way. As always, thanks for joining us. We'll have tons of resources at wholewhale.com slash podcast. And you can always follow up and find Brian's company, Little M Media, uh, and we'll have those links for you. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us. Today's music from... Greg Thomas Band, and also bensound.com, where we got the interlude music. Hope you enjoyed it.